today is Father's Day, and I want to talk a little bit about Father's Day, and uh, in the process, I thought, well, maybe the Lord is telling me I should just not preach in Philippians, because we've been in Philippians. Uh, I know that I've been kind of here and there uh, for the past few weeks, and so I was thinking, well, maybe we just won't go back to Philippians today, because it's Father's Day, right? We'll just do a Father's Day sermon. But then, something unique happened. It mentions stuff about fathers and sons in the passage in Philippians that we are on. And I didn't realize that. I mean, I had read that passage a hundred times, but all of a sudden, there it is. So I'm like, okay, I guess that'll just be part of what we do. So I, I'm going to get to Philippians. It's going to be a little bit, but I'm going to get to it. Today I want to talk about Father's Day from two perspectives. They're both going to be fairly brief. The first is from the father's perspective about how to be a good father. The second perspective is from the children's perspective, how to be a good child to your father. Hopefully, I do this well enough that there's a bit of both in what we talk about today. So, just as a reminder, we are in Philippians and we are searching for joy. So, joy is found in a number of different ways in Philippians. I mean, the letter to the Philippians, it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but through understanding the gospel, the joy of Christ is unleashed in our life. I am looking for joy. I am searching for it. I am digging for it like for treasure. Just as a reminder, where have we been? Well, we've learned up to Philippians chapters 1 and part of chapter 2. We've learned seven things, I think, about joy. So just as a reminder, here's what we've learned. Number one. Joy begins with humility. Number two, Christians partnering together bring joy. Number three, the gospel advancing brings joy. Number four, joy and unity go together. Number five, suffering for Christ brings joy. Number six, joy is found when we put others above ourselves. And number seven, joy is found when we daily submit our lives to Jesus and become light bringers in our community. Would you pray? Lord God, as we open up your word today, we ask that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts in such a way that we are changed. We know that your word is inspired, and now we ask that the interpretation of your word would be equally inspired only by you, Holy Spirit. Speak to us. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, it's been an interesting week in the news, hasn't it? If you can think about the news stories of the week, um, if I asked you what are the biggest stories in the news, what would be one? Go ahead, say it. This week, biggest stories in the news. Biden crashing on his bicycle. President Biden crashing on his bicycle. That's a news story. What's another one? Gas prices. We're over five bucks a gallon now, nationwide average, highest seven been. What's another one? What was that? I didn't hear. They dropped a little bit, but still a little bit. What's, say another one. Shortage of baby food. There's a shortage of other things supposedly coming too, but we're not going to talk about that. What's another thing? Executive order about transgenderism in children. 
Say it again? The executive order that passed about transgenderism and things like that. I haven't. You need to tell me about that because that slipped under. So, executive order about transgenderism and children. I'm interested in knowing more about that. I haven't seen that one. So, Dana, make sure you talk to me about that. I want to know more about that. Other things in the news? Inflation. Inflation. There it is. How about what did the Fed do this week? How much? Three quarters. 75 basis points. Now, for those of you that survived through the late 70s and 80s, you're thinking, big deal, right? But it is kind of a big deal. Like, all of these big things are in the news. Okay, good job. You said all the ones that I thought you would say. And what I didn't expect. Good, excellent. I think something bigger happened in the news this week that went so far into the radar that almost no one's heard about it. Something really, really big. Gallup released a poll. So this is a poll that they, they, finished, they did in May of 2022, but they just released the results this week. And here's what the poll revealed. 81% of Americans believe in God. Hey, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? 81%? That's a, very, that's a good majority. That's a good majority of people that believe in God. Here's the problem. That is down six percentage points from 2017. From 2017 until today, a full 6% of Americans have gone from believing in God to not believing in God. Could I let that sink? Just let that sink in for a second. 6%. Could somebody do some math for me, please? What is 6% of 335 million? Go ahead. Get your calculator out. 6% of 335 million. Anybody? More than that. What is it? What would be 1%? 1% of 300 million would be 3 million. So 6% of 300 million would be 18 million, okay? And it was 335 million, that's our population. So we're really looking at, let's just say, in four years, 20 million people have gone from believing that there is a God to not. 20 million plus, give or take. Americans, not worldwide, Americans, have gone from believing there is a God to not. And that story was so far buried underneath the news that you couldn't find. From 1944 to 2011, Gallup did this same question. They did this same survey. And during that time, consistently from 1944 to 2011, it was always more than 90% of Americans believed there was a God. Always more than 90%. But in 2011, it started to decrease just a little bit. And then from 2017 to 2011, it decreases significantly. Now, because what I'm going to say next could be interpreted as political, okay, I'm going to read quotes. Okay, so this is not me opinionating anything, okay? This is me reading quotes from 
the survey. Like I got this off the Gallup website. Okay? Here we go. You ready for this? Belief in God has fallen the most in recent years among young adults and people on the left of the political spectrum, that being liberals and Democrats. These groups show drops of 10 or more percentage points comparing the 2022 figures to an average of the 2013 to 2017 polls. More quotes. The groups with the largest declines are also the groups that are currently least likely to believe in God, including liberals at 62%, young adults at 68%, and Democrats 72%. Belief in God is highest among political conservatives, 94%, and Republicans, 92%, reflecting that religiosity is a major determinant of political division in the United States. You already knew But there's the numbers. Now, I'm not saying that to say liberals are bad, Republicans are good, Democrats are bad. I'm not, that, don't, that's not what I'm saying, okay? I am literally reading from the sermon. It's just where we're at. Another quote. About half of those who believe in God, equal to 42% of all Americans, say God hears prayers and can intervene on a person's behalf. Let me, let me help you with that. See, they ask people if they believe in God, but then they ask a follow-up question. The follow-up question was, do you believe that God hears your prayers and responds to them? And of the 81% who said they believe in God, only 42% said God hears our prayers and responds to them. These are American citizens. That's who the poll went to. Only 42% of the 81% who believe in God says that God hears their prayers and responds. Nearly three quarters of most religious Americans, defined as those who attend religious services every week, say they believe God hears prayers and can intervene as do slightly more than half of conservatives and Republicans, as well as 25% of liberals and 32% of Democrats. That's a lot of numbers. Let me break that down. Three quarters of the most religious Americans, so those are the ones that go to church every week, believe that God hears prayers and can intervene. That means 25% of the people sitting in church don't think God hears their prayers and intervenes. 30% of young adults believe God hears prayers and intervenes. Can I say that again? Young adults. Only 30% believe that God hears prayers and can intervene. When you're out and about, I, mean, I was at the Eagle Bend's parade yesterday. There's some interesting characters that show up at parades. Okay? Some of you were there. I said hi. Hopefully. If I didn't say hi, I just didn't see it. But, like, strange, like, people from around our area show up at parades 
30% of the young adults that were at the event break, according to the survey, do not believe that God hears prayers and can intervene. Are these numbers surprising to you? I think they're probably not, because you feel in your soul something's wrong with our country. I'm just telling you, a survey that's been conducted since 1944 is proving in the numbers what you're feeling in your soul. Last quote. And while belief in God has declined in recent years, Gallup has documented steeper drops in church attendance, church membership, and confidence in organized religion, suggesting that the practice of religious faith may be changing more than basic faith in God. So, as belief in God has been decreasing in really, I mean, significant amounts, in four years to go down 6%, that's huge. But, like, confidence in organized religion and church attendance has been dropping faster. More. I think you also know that. You can feel it. You can see it. Right? When do we ring the alarm bell? As a country. What I'm going to say next will come almost completely unsurprisingly. Our nation is trending in the wrong direction. Now, I'm not talking about political direction. You could interpret what I just said there to be a political statement. I'm not talking about politics right now. If I talk about politics, I'll let you know. I think we need to talk about politics in the church, because no subject should be taboo when we talk about life. But my concern about trending in the wrong direction is a spiritual trend in the wrong direction. Only 30%, one out of every three young adults in this country does not believe that God hears and answers prayer. I said that wrong. I actually said that wrong. One out of three adults believe that God does hear and answer prayer. The other two out of three don't. Can you, I mean... Hello! We've got to wake up! I'm concerned, but I mean, I think concern is probably the wrong word. Like, I'm alarmed. I... We are at an incredibly dangerous moment as a people and a culture. So what can we do? What can we do? There are so many ways of approaching this problem. And I want to say I am open to all possibilities for somehow figuring out how to fix this problem. Okay, so as I talk today, it's going to be one way, but that doesn't mean that I'm saying that other ways shouldn't be done. I'm, I'm just going to focus on one thing, okay? I mean, there are macro ways of approaching this problem, micro ways. There are political ways of approaching this problem. There are secular ways of approaching this problem. There are Christian ways of approaches. There's ways the church can approach this. There are ways individuals can each approach this. There's a way that families can approach this. And I think we need to have a fresh, a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit to wash over all of these ways and to wash over our country. I think we need to pray for that. Now, if, if you want to use the language of revival, fine. Use the language of revival to pray for this. But don't let, the, don't let the language trip you up. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to wash over our country, our people, our families, our individuals again. Or we're toast! Today I'm going to focus on one. Today is Father's Day. 
So I want to focus on the family and specifically the role of the father in the family. That's what we're going to do today to address this issue. So fathers and grandfathers, I'm now speaking to you, which means I'm speaking also to myself. Okay, you ready for this? The way we lead as fathers and grandfathers is the way our family will go. The way we lead as fathers and grandfathers is the way that our family will go. What we prioritize, fathers and grandfathers, will be what our family prioritizes. So if we prioritize work, that's what our family will prioritize. If we prioritize play, that's what they will prioritize. If we prioritize school, or grades, or sports, or church, or God, that's what our family will prioritize. You know, I'd like to make an interesting observation. What I'm going to say in this next section, you can take the wrong way. I hope you don't. I think it's just worth pointing out. When I was a kid, I did not have the option of staying home from church. Going to church on Sundays, and actually Wednesdays as well, was simply something our family did. There was no discussion about the pros or the cons of going to church. There was no time given to me to argue my case for why I didn't think that I should attend church on any given Sunday. Okay? Oh, I was out too late working. You know, because I, you know, or, or I was out too late with my friends. I'm just too tired to come into church. Okay, that was a discussion that did not happen. It was just an expectation. Now, my family wasn't perfect, so I'm not trying to put myself on a pedestal. I'm just letting you know that it was just an expectation. I knew it. There was no point in talking about it. It was, it was a conversation that wasn't going to go anywhere. Okay? Today, it seems like parents think that requiring your child to go to church is some form of child abuse. Isn't that interesting? Do I have your attention right now? Anybody over the age of 50 is like, Preach it! <laughs> Anybody under the age of 50 is like, Where's he going? Where's he going? Where's he going? Where's he going? Right? That's where we're at right now. Okay? Today it seems like parents think that forcing your children to go to church is some form of child abuse. Because parents, they, they've been led to believe that they shouldn't force their religion on their children because their children might rebel against it later if we force it on them. Have you heard that line of argumentation? I don't want to poison my kid toward the church. I don't want to force them. They, they need to just make the choice on their own. Okay? Because I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, make them feel obligated. And I understand where that's coming from because Christianity, following Jesus Christ, is not about obligation. I say that every time you receive offering, right? And yet, I need to say something important here. This is the interesting observation. 
Can I challenge this idea a little bit? Let me challenge it. Ready? Do you allow your child to miss school if they just don't feel like going? Now, I realize that this also is beginning to happen today. Right? That, 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 well, I'm just really tired today. I just don't think I want to go to school. Oh. Do you know also in my family growing up? That was not an option. You go to school. That's what you do. Like, that's part of what it means to be a canole. You meet your obligations that our family sets. Because that's what it means to be in this family. Or, okay, so, see now, this is all about the culture of your family. Because this is the worst thing. I'm blasting you guys, but it's the folks that aren't here that, are, that probably should hear that. That's the problem, okay? But i got to start something. This is it. And for you at home, thank you for watching. Love you to come on back. There's, there's love and peace in the church. Come back if you can. Some of you can't. Thank you for being here. Let me try again. Maybe school's not the thing for you. So let me just figure out what one that is. How about this? Sports. If you start a sport, this is the way it was for me. If you're going to start a sport, you're going to give it all you have. You don't get to quit. Because you're, don't, you don't like practice. Or because you have a problem with a coach. Or because you have a problem with another player that treated you badly. You work it out. And the way you work it out is by giving it your best. And you go to all the practices, and you go to all the games, even if you ride the bench the whole time and give it all you do. That's what you do. What it means to be in the Canole family is that you make the decision to be in the sport, and then you be in the sport all the way, or you don't be in the sport from the beginning. And that's fine. You can make that choice. But you don't start and then quit. Now, for some people, you're like, well, I mean, school's not really that big a deal. I mean, sports, I mean, that's fine. But let me get to one that might be you, because other families, their priorities are somewhere else. Work. For some families, work is the highest priority. And in that case, if you're going to work, you work all the way, all the time. You don't get to wake up in the morning and say, I just don't think I'm going to go spray the field today because I'm tired. Or, or how about harvest time? I don't feel like getting out there and combining this morning because my foot hurts. Andrew, is that okay during harvest? I think I'll just let the combining just wait a couple days. I'm just, I don't know. I don't feel like it. Let's have a discussion about that, shall we? Do, do you think that maybe we could just not do the whole harvesting thing today? I'm suggesting, and I hope I pick one of yours, okay? I'm suggesting that same thing ought to be applying in our families regarding being an active part of a local church. And when that's gone, even if you think it's gone because, well, I don't want to poison my kids against religion, if you think that that's the issue, the statistics literally show that's not. Our kids are falling away from belief in God. 
because they're not engaged in what's happening on in the church of God, not just New Life Church of God. I'm talking about God's church in the world, okay? The kingdom of God. Which I seriously doubt includes the church you were listening to, Kim. Because we're not preaching God. Okay? A Bible-believing church that's following God to the best of their ability. Okay? It's not wrong, fathers and grandfathers, to say, in our family, this is what we do. And you just don't have a conversation about it after that. Now, when a child turns 18 and they want to accept all of the responsibilities of adulthood, which is good, it's good. Now you have the conversation. Let's talk about why, as a father, I made that decision for your first 18 years of life. Right? Now, your child has the option, because they are an adult, choosing to do what they're going to do. But before they're 18, dads, grandfathers, that's you. That's us. Do not be afraid to set the expectation in your family that you are going to be serving the Lord. And you are going to do that in the local church, which is how Jesus set it up to be. Okay. That was fun. I've been sort of, that's been like building in me for a while. So I just wanted to get that. So as long as we're getting out these things that have been building in me, I want to do another one of that, okay? So here we go. 81% of people don't believe in God. Okay, that's, that's interesting, but can I just do a little bit of a deeper dive into that? Because I think what I want to say next is something that's been bothering me for a long time. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, well-known verse. Okay. Uh, even people that don't know anything about Jesus probably have heard that verse. <coughs> it's a good verse. It's a wonderful verse. There's life in that verse. But this might sound strange to you, but uh, for a long time, that verse has bothered me. I want to explain that so that you don't fire me. Okay? I want to explain why this verse has bothered me. Because usually when I hear that verse spoken to someone, it's without any other context whatsoever. It's just sort of stuck out there alone. And people just can just all you got to do is throw that verse in front of them and they'll be okay. You see that at basketball games, John 3.16, people hold signs up, right? John 3.16. Well, I think if you just say John 3.16, you can leave people with a, an incorrect impression of what that means. Notice that the Gallup poll that I just said only asks the question, do you believe in God? So this verse says, Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I think 
that a whole lot of people are left with the impression that all a person really needs to do to get to heaven, ticket punch, is just believe that God is real. And that's enough. So, that always bothers me. So, usually, and almost every time that I say John 3.16 in the past 10 years, including the funeral I just did on Tuesday, I always follow it with this verse, James 2.19. You believe that there is one God. Good! Even the demons believe that and shudder. I feel like you've got to follow that one up with John 3.16. you understand? Believing that God is real is not the kind of belief that saves you from eternal damnation. But most people think that all you need to do is just believe that God is real. Whether, by the way, God is real whether you believe it or not. <laughs> I mean, like, what does that even mean? Okay, it doesn't matter. It's your opinion. Your opinion doesn't affect whether God's real or not. Okay? So, that's not the issue. The demons believe God's real. And they are going to roast in the burning lake of sulfur for eternity. Just throw that out. Fathers and grandfathers, it is your responsibility to teach your children and grandchildren that just believing God is real is not going to save them. Saving faith involves submitting our lives completely to God dying to our own desires and replacing those desires daily with God's desires for our lives. Living life with God as our highest priority, even higher than things we think are super important like working hard or doing your best in school or you, you name whatever that thing is that might be an idol that is over keeping God first of all. Fathers and grandfathers, you set the tone for this in your family. Not putting our own wants in front of God's desires and others' needs. Fathers, grandfathers, you are the one that shows your children the importance of not putting your own needs and your own wants in front of God's. This kind of living is modeled by you, fathers and grandfathers, every day and every decision you make. Your kids are watching every single decision, every single action. And when your words don't match up with your actions, they see it immediately. And this leads us to our very brief passage in Philippians today. So look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interest, not in Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you 
Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help he could not give to me. I'm not going to spend very much time on this, because it's a, what is this passage doing in the middle of Philippians? Like, it's like, it's like a travel itinerary. I'm going to send this guy, not this guy, and here's what's going to happen. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I am going to notice something. I want you to notice in Philippians 2, 21 and 22. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Look at that. That's what most people do. Right? But verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the there it is. As a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I think it's likely that Paul included this description of these two men of God in this part of Philippians because they are examples of all that Paul has been saying about what it means to be joyful in Christ. They have risked their lives. They have sacrificed personal well-being. In fact, Titus got sick and almost died because of the gospel. Because he was going to Paul to minister to him. When we have saving faith in Jesus Christ, dads, listen to this. When we have saving faith in Jesus Christ, it will change us. It cannot help but change us. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like we're looking out for the interests of Jesus Christ, not just our own interests. That's what it looks like. We're not to spend our time and our energy looking out for our own interests. Fathers and grandfathers, this idea goes 100% against what the entire American culture is telling your kids and your grandkids. Do you want to know what American culture is telling our kids and grandkids right now? Look out for number one. Do everything you can to make yourself be advantaged over others. Do everything you can to do that. That's what your kids are told through all kinds of different ways. They're swimming in it. Do whatever you can for yourself. Look out for number one. Fathers and grandfathers, you've got to be able to tell your kids and your grandkids what brings purpose to life. I'm going to give you one verse. There's lots of different places in Scripture that I could have chosen from. But one verse gives the answer. What brings purpose to life? Fathers, if you've never told your kids this, you need to. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Our purpose is to glorify God. That is our purpose. Our purpose is not to get ahead of someone else. Our purpose is not to be successful. Our purpose is not to get into the college we want to. 
Our purpose is not to get the career path we want. Our purpose is not even to get scholarships. Our purpose is not to get a super good main job. Our purpose is not to do any of those things. Those things can be good if they are for the greater purpose of glorifying God. But if they are not, they are chaff in the wind. Our entire culture is telling you to something else. Okay, kids, your turn. And then we're done. We're almost done. Children, this is for you. Did you notice it says, and as a son with his father in the work of the gospel, if a father is leading the family, setting up these parameters, <coughs> sons and daughters, your job is to come alongside and be part of it. Honoring the work of your parents, honoring the choices they've made, and then putting your own shoulder into the plot. So, a couple verses real quick. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. We don't say this very much, but can I just, I'm just going to read scripture here. Kids, you want to live a long time? Honor your parents. I mean, that's like literally scripture. Okay, I mean, I just read it. It's Old Testament, it's repeated in the New Testament. You want to live a long time? Honor your parents. Colossians 3.20 Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I, I have, like people about to enter college, I don't know how I'm going to hear God's will for my life. Well, you can start there. Obey your parents in everything. Now, of course, if your parents are telling you to do something that go against God, that does not include right? But if your parents are leading you towards God, and you decide to rebel against that because you just feel like it, that does not please the Lord. Oh, by the way, um, i got to read the next verse after these two, because I just read Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Look at Ephesians 6, 4. So, the next verse is, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So those two go together. <laughs> okay? And of course, I just read Colossians 3.20. Look at Colossians 3.21. <laughs> they go together. Everybody got that? Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. It is not our job, fathers, to discourage our children. It is our job to set clear understandings and boundaries about what our family is about. What are the non-negotiables in our family? Might I suggest one of the non-negotiables is we are going to glorify God in everything we do. We are going to participate in an active way in a local church family presenting the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody around us. That's just what we're going to do. Alright. Let's get practical for a second. And then we're done. The last practical piece of what I want to say today is risk. And I want to say that this last part, I'm not just saying it's risky for all of you. This part is going to be risky for me. 
I am going to suggest something to you. What I've spoken about today has been a lot of big things, big concepts. You know, all of America, how much do they believe in God? You know, how do we interpret John 3.16 correctly? How do we understand belief in God compared to, just believing God is real compared to saving faith in God? Like, those are big concepts, okay? I want to make it very practical right now. What I'm going to suggest now is going to seem odd to you. My guess is you've never even considered doing what I'm going to suggest. I haven't. If you don't want to participate, dads, grandpas, you listen to me. If you don't want to participate, that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to. This is an optional exercise. Okay? I'm not saying you have to. I'm not going to look down on you if you don't do this. This is optional. I am going to do this. But I am concerned about what's going to happen. So, instead of me trying to explain it, I'm going to show a video, because it's not my idea. This comes from Jim Daly, president of Focus on the Family. He's going to explain this. It's about a little more than about four and a half minutes, but it's an interesting idea. Something that I've done for many years is what I call Dad's report card. It's kind of a check-in mechanism. And it dawned on me when my boys were probably in fourth and sixth grade. They were bringing home their report cards, and I'd sit down very formally and look at it and say, oh, this grade, and A in English, Troy, that's fantastic. Or what's happening in Spanish with your C? And we'd go through that. It dawned on me, man, maybe they're thinking, well, Dad, you're not so hot in some things, too. So I created seven categories for them to evaluate me. And we fell into that rhythm that every time they were getting a report card, I then would say, well, let's look at my report card. How am I doing? I'm going to recommend these seven things, but certainly, you know, match and make them what you want to. Uh, you know, you can exchange these things for other ideas. The seven I have, and I keep them right on my iPhone is this. One, spending time together. I just want them to give me the feedback. Am I spending enough time with you? Do you feel like I'm connected with you? Uh, sometimes that has been good. I will say, in all honesty, that's the lowest grade I ever received. I got a C from Troy one time, who said, no, Dad, I don't feel that connected to you. I think a C in his vocabulary is basically an F. And uh, I made some changes right when I heard that. I, made the decision not to travel during the summer, and I kept that for about seven, eight years through the junior high, high school years. So that feedback helps, and by the way, if they say something, act on it. Uh, don't dismiss it like uh, your voice really doesn't matter to me. Secondly, spiritual training. And this is really important, especially to my wife, Jean. And she probably would give me a C in this grade, but it's just being able to sit down, maybe not really a formal devotion, but make sure your kids are hearing from you, Dad, particularly, about spiritual training, you know, what's on your heart. I've kind of turned that into just reading the Word together regularly. It's not every night, but probably two, three times a week, sitting with them and reading Proverbs. I also text them the proverb of the day. I've done that for years. And, of course, it fits really neatly with the calendar. So just feed them spiritual food so that they can eat and uh, be filled with that. Um, number three, having fun. 
Now, sometimes Gene has not been happy with this because there'll be times I'm sitting there we're going to pray together and it's just one of those moments where you get a tickle bug and you start laughing because everybody's trying to be quiet and be very formal and we're sitting there, you know, kind of down in the TV room or something and we start giggling and we'll laugh and mom will be very stern, like straighten up, this is prayer time and then it makes us laugh a little more. And I'll tell you, when the boys and I are together, that those are great memories. Just remember to laugh. Don't take everything too seriously. Fourth, I have feel supported by me. And you know, emotionally, man, this one just grabs me when I think of, you know, some of the things our young people are going through. In our school, we've had a number of suicides in the school up the street. And that's a very heavy burden for me that my kids know that I'm in the corner and I want to hear from them. So make sure that your kids feel supported by you. Whatever that might mean, define it for them. Ask them for feedback. How do you feel supported by me? What are the things I can do to help you feel supported by me? I think it's probably one of the most important as well. Number five, I have teaching and mentoring on life. This is really simple. Uh, this is like how to change a tire, how to change the oil, what do I do? I think I don't have daughters, so I'm thinking about how do I do those daughter things. I'll leave it to the daddy daughters to figure that out. But there's things that they need to hear from you. And number six, uh, recreation, physical activity. Uh, getting out and doing things. I'm so grateful for Trent right now. Maybe he's into weightlifting and being in shape. Uh, and it's a great thing. And uh, Troy likes to get out and do hikes and, and walks with uh, mom and me. So it's wonderful. Seventh is listening well. I've kept saying, you know, each of these are important. Number seven is probably as important as the others. But um, when we're lecturing to our kids, I think parents tend to lecture a lot. And we don't sit and really ask a question and then listen to what our kids want to say. So by and large, uh, my report cards have been A's and B's. I don't know that I'd get into Harvard, but I think I'd make it into a state school. <laughs> That's a good thing. So take this report card, this check-in mechanism uh, to your kids. Ask them to help you create what's important to them and make that a quarterly review of how well you're doing in your parenting with your kids. God bless. Here it is. So, men, be brave enough to have your kids give you a report card. I think I'm brave enough, but I'm not sure. What I have here now, remember, this is optional. And if you're not ready for this because of all kinds of factors in your life, just might not be in a place where you can take criticism or whatever just because you're in a very low spot or whatever. I don't want this to add to your stuff. Is that fair? But, if the Lord prompts you, these are out in the narthex. They are on the table that's right by the Arvillian right bread out there. There's a picture on the wall of like the history of our church. Just take one for each of your kids. Some of your kids are very small, and some of these, like, I have not taught my two-year-old the basics of car care yet, okay? <laughs> that one just doesn't apply yet. But many of these will apply. So, if your husband's not here right now, um, you could at least maybe take one and, and share with him the concept. I would encourage you to ha have, you know, this is now on our church website, our YouTube page, so they can watch this sermon. My desire is that we would turn this trend around in our country, and I think it's going to have to happen. At least one of the places we got to focus is 
men leading our families toward glorifying God in everything we do as men. I think it's, it's essential. So, I'm going to grab three of these. Right? You grab as many as the Lord tells you to grab. Shall we pray? Thank you, Jesus, that we don't have to be perfect. Can I get an amen? That you give us grace. But Lord, Holy Spirit, we ask you that even though we recognize we don't have to be perfect, we desire to be growing more and more toward you every day. And we know, Lord, that you give us the power to be successful. Praise God. And so now, Lord, I, I put a challenge out there for the men, for the fathers, for the grandfathers. It is my prayer that this challenge will be taken in the spirit of Christian growth and not in a spirit in any way that brings condemnation. That's not what this is about. So, Holy Spirit, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would go before these surveys in such a way that the enemy would not be able to whisper lies of condemnation or lies of telling fathers that they're not good enough. That would be completely separate from this, but that instead, Lord, you would make us closer to you through this experience. God, we love you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming this morning. May the Lord bless you. Enjoy something.